Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. We're talking about wonder this month. Um, obviously, Christmas is a time of wonder. Kids love Christmas, and there's this wonder. Adults love Christmas, I think, too, still, even though you, we hear Christmas songs too much when we go into those retail stores. But we love Christmas, and there's wonder with it. But there is no wonder that is quite like the wonder of seeing somebody get to know Jesus for the first time. Uh, one of the things that uh, maybe you were here a couple of months ago, uh, we had about eight or nine young people right over here in the baptismal that we put up got baptized. And I'm telling you, if you were here, there was something, there was a feeling that Sunday morning of wonder like I haven't felt on a Sunday at church in the longest time. There's something so powerful in seeing people come to know the grace of Jesus. Um, and that's what our generosity is all about, to know Jesus and to make him known to people. That's our mission. That's why we're trying to be a church that's generous, to bring wonder into this world. Um, I love that feeling of wonder. That, that t- those moments where you're, I love like fall, crisp, like cool, crisp, dark nights where you're walking outside on the sidewalk and you look up and there's this full moon and stars everywhere. Uh, When I was living up in Northwoods, you got to see more stars than you get to see here, but there's a wonder when you see that kind of stuff or when you see your kid, your child being born into the world. I always say it like this, I've never done drugs, so I don't know what that high is like, but there is no way it's as good as the high I've seen a a baby born into the world that's yours. Like, it's crazy. That's why I had four kids. It was such, I was like, I gotta have that feeling. And then they cost a lot, and so I stopped. But like it is, there's, there's a wonder in that. And I wanna get really cheesy on this one. There's nothing like the wonder of looking into my wife's eyes and seeing that, that gleam when she's laughing or giggling at something I say. Because usually I say things and she's got that look like, I can't believe you said that. So there's like wonder when I, when I finally get that. But obviously nothing compares to the wonder of, of knowing Jesus Christ and seeing his grace and seeing other people come to understand that grace. But what happens when all that wonder goes away? I was in Beloit last night, and David was, was sharing on this same, the same passage we're going to share on. He talked about how kids actually, scientists say that kids smile 400 times a day. Some kids a little less, some kids a little more, all right? Uh, I, some kids cry 400 times a day, I feel like. But kids, kids smile 400 times a day, and adults smile, and I don't know how they came up with a step, they say 20 times a day. I know, that's sad. So somewhere we've lost the wonder of like 380 smiles a day. We got to get that wonder back. So I want to take you for a minute to, to that time just before Jesus was born. It's been 400 years for the Israelite people since they've heard from God. That, that book that we call the Old Testament, it was their only testament, okay, and the last book there, Malachi, it was, that prophecy was given 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And everything was dead silent from that point on. And so the Israelite people, they were struggling. They were feeling like God wasn't there. I want to put it in perspective. Um, 400 years ago for us is like 100, about 150 years before the Declaration of Independence was signed. Okay, that's a long time ago. You and I are far removed from the writers of the Declaration of Independence those, those writers had an excitement in that room, writing that thing that, I mean, all of us were like, 4th of July, we're like, yeah, we love it. But I'm sure that there's 
a long ways between us and them in that excitement. And so you got to imagine that those Israelites, 400 years it's been since they've heard from God. Things are silent. And they've begun to lose that wonder for who God is. I'm wondering if any of us have ever been in that place before, where we've kind of lost our wonder for God. I see a lot with teenagers when we take them to a Bible camp or a convention, and man, they're at camp, and they're like, man, God is awesome. It's like I hear him everywhere, and then they go home for two days, they're like, where's God? And it's like this utter silence that they can't hear. Or in our own lives, we got jobs that are, that are like just difficult, and our kids are taking everything out of us. And so we get up on a Sunday morning, and we're like, ah, oh, let's just sleep in, let's hang out as a family. That's great. Then it comes another week and another week, and all of a sudden, like, we've been apart from church, and now I've been apart from church, but I've also pulled away from any other thing that has, that has helped me to, to kind of stay clear, clinging to that faith. And what happens is a couple months from then, you're thinking, God, where are you? You are silent. I don't know where you are. I wonder if anybody's ever kind of been in that position before. Maybe it's the total opposite. Maybe it's, man, everything is going perfectly. My kids are obedient. Uh, my job is kicking butt. I love my spouse right now. I am in shape and looking good. And it's like you know at that point something's got to hit the fan. Like it just it can't go this good forever. And for the Jewish people, that's where they were. It wasn't everything was going good. It was they were in that stage of it feels like everything has hit the fan. They had lost their wonder. It was gone. So now we're going we're gonna to go into the Gospel of Luke. And at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we are not hit with the story of Jesus first in the Christmas story. We're actually hit with the story of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and their coming son, John, John the Baptist. Okay? And in this story, you're going to start to see God is starting to work wonder back into these Israelite people. So I want to pick it up here in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the, all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both really stinking old. They were old people, and they didn't have a kid. Now, for you and me, we can empathize with that. You and me, we see that, and we're like, oh, that's sad. That's too bad. We've known people, or maybe there's probably people in this room who've had a tough time having children of their own, and we can empathize with that. Like, that's a, that's, that's a sad situation. But in the context of this day and age, this was a much bigger deal than what we see it as. Uh, the Israelites back then, most of them didn't believe in eternal life. They believed that their immortality came from actually having children, and then their lineage kind of became their immortality. And so if you didn't have children, you actually were seen as being someone who was cursed by God. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew people saw them as less than. They knew that people just kind of didn't think that they were anything good. And they felt that. Now, no matter what they thought about eternity and all that stuff, they had to feel that, that hurt. And the hard part about it all was they had not done anything wrong. Nothing at all. It says that they were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands, all of his decrees blamelessly. 
you might be doing everything right and still nothing seems to work out. That is just a fact of life. You might be doing everything exactly how you think you should and nothing's working out. It's a truth of life and it stinks and it seems harsh, but it's the reality. God is not being silent. God, God being silent doesn't mean that he is not in control. God not giving us the answers that we want doesn't mean that he's, he's not there for us. But it's funny how I think sometimes we equate closeness with God to having good feelings about every which way that our life is headed. It's almost like if life is going good, it becomes that confirmation we feel from God that, okay, I'm doing everything right. But if things aren't going well, it's like, oh, man, God, what, what am I doing wrong? You know, just taking as an, as an example, if you've got a, a kid and everything seems to be just, you're struggling with them, with everything, they're, they're fighting you at everything. You're doing everything you can to, to teach them and to, to encourage them and to push them around along in the right ways, not push them around, push them along in the right ways. And it's just, it's not working. I wonder what your conversations and your thoughts with God are like in those moments. Like, God, why, why are you not helping me? God, what am I, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I'm an awful parent. I'm, I feel like the worst. What's, what is wrong? But then if the situation is, is reversed and you've got a kid who is just a little angel and everything is going right, they are obedient, they, they're, they're doing so well that you are giving them more and more and more leeway and they're just taking it, you, it feels like they're running with it. And you're, I wonder what your conversations with God are like then. Like, oh God, you've made me to be the best parent ever. Thank you so much. Like, I, God, thank you for being with my kids and helping them. And then two weeks later, your son comes to you and is like, I just got caught shoplifting. Or your daughter comes to you and is like, I'm pregnant. Then what does the conversation become like again? God, what did I do wrong? See, we tend to equate how, we, how things are going with what God thinks of us. We easily fall into thinking that God is only helping us when things are easy. But here's the thing. I don't think that when we feel like we're alone, I think it's giving us almost the opposite reaction that it's supposed to. When we feel like we're alone, like God isn't there, it, we, we get this feeling like, like he's honestly not helping us. But I think what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to push us to this understanding that actually what I need is God alone. When I feel alone, I should get to that place where, okay, now I need God and God alone. I can't do this on my own. Sometimes we need to experience the feeling of having no control to remind us that we're, we actually aren't in control. That feeling of no control, it is an awful feeling. I hate it. Uh, I was talking last service about kids midweek. Sometimes I go there and the kids just are great that night, and it's like, oh, this is easy. And then other nights I go there, and it's a hurricane of children being crazy. And I walk out of there, and I'm like, the good weeks, I'm like, man, God, I really, I, my leadership was awesome tonight. I was really kicking it. And then those other weeks, I'm like, oh, dear Lord, what's wrong with me? I should find another line of work somewhere out in a forest where there is no person. I don't know. But... God is in control, and sometimes I think we need to be able to pinch ourselves when things are going right. We've got to pinch ourselves and remind ourselves that it is not me in control in this moment. It's God. But on the, on the flip side of it, again, 
when things are all going wrong. It doesn't mean that God is still not in control. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had to realize that even though they were way past childbearing age, that things just weren't going the way they wanted it to, God was in control. They had to relearn that. When you're doing things right or you're not doing things right, and things are working out or they're not working out, my wonder should not be attached to whether or not those things are going well. My wonder for God should not be attached to the circumstances of how things are going. Because what happens now is I've misplaced my wonder, and misplaced wonder is a fragile, fragile, fragile thing because I'm not in control of it. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were about to learn where their real wonder was supposed to be placed. They're about to be reminded that God is always supposed to be at the center of our wonder. And so Luke verse one, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Go on, just let you know what's going on here. There were thousands, literally thousands of priests in, in Israel at this time. And for one week of the year, two different weeks, all the priests were, were subject to helping out, serving in the temple. But every day, only one priest got to go into this room and offer this incense as the daily sacrifice. And because there were thousands of priests... You only had an, a chance to do this one time in your priestly duties. And so this, by luck of the draw, this is the day that Zechariah gets to go in and, and do his priestly duties. It is the culmination of his, of his career as a priest. And it's at this moment that God decides to come in and say, okay, my 400 years of being silent, it's over. I'm about to do something. It's going to be cool. And so here's what happens. Verse 10. And when the time... Uh, for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people to Israel, of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now you and I read that and we're like, oh, that's cool. Awesome, he's gonna have a kid. But I'm telling you, this was, even, this was so much more powerful in Zechariah's ears. At least it should have been. See, the very last book of our Old Testament, the last book of the only testament that Zechariah has, because the New Testament hasn't been written, it's the book of Malachi. And in that last book, there is a prophecy that takes place that is almost word for word what this angel tells him in this situation. Malachi 4 says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Almost word for word. And then he says, he will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. See, what Zechariah should understand here, there is a long-held promise that he is about, that God is about to finally fulfill. 
he is trying, God is trying to whap him upside the head to tell him what he's doing. And the moral of the story is this. If God makes a promise, God fulfills that promise. Every single time. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they waited their whole lives. Now, they, they might not have been promised that they were going to have a child, but they were promised all those promises from 400 years ago that there was going to be a Savior that was going to come into this world. There was a promise that was being fulfilled. Now, I imagine uh, when that angel came and, and talked to Zechariah, he's been praying for this, this child to be born to his wife. He's seen in the Old Testament other times where people who were past the childbearing age gave birth to children. He has to believe, like, this can happen. But when that angel came and said it was going to happen, the only thing that comes to my mind of how I can explain this is this way. To me, it would be like an angel coming to me and saying, Kellen, the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Everything in me wants to, like, I know other teams who haven't won it have won the Super Bowl before. But everything in me is saying, it's not going to happen. I love the Vikings. I love watching their games. I love it. And I always try to say, I believe it's going to happen. And I don't. Like, I've lost all wonder that they can do anything but kick wide left in a playoff game. Okay? I just, I've lost the wonder. And I believe that for Zechariah, that's the same way that this was going on. Like, they've lost, he's lost the wonder. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to have a kid. Well, let's see. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you may be losing hope because you don't feel good can come through your situation anymore. You might be in a situation where you're like, it's been so long, I've thought for so many times it might get better, but it doesn't. And so I just, I'm, I'm losing hope. I'm losing wonder. Maybe you've got a loved one who is just too lost. There's too much anger. There's too much hurt for them to ever get right. Maybe, maybe it's your anxiety. You thought you kicked it so many times, and it just creeps up in the moment where you least expected it. Maybe it's this job that you have. Like, it gives you no pleasure whatsoever. You can't stand it. No purpose. You feel like you're going to have to be there forever. Or maybe it's the, the temper that you deal with. And time and time again, you've, you, you felt like you were going to be able to have a grip on it. And over and over and over again, you hurt the people that are closest to you. What I think the story of Zechariah shows us is there is not such a thing as too late when it comes to our God. There is not such a thing as too late. The only thing that there is such a thing as with God is it's his timing. There's not a too late. There's only a his timing. There's also not such a thing as a lost cause when it comes to our God. Zechariah had to find that out. He had to figure that out. Are you stuck in a place where you feel like you're kind of bemoaning the things that you want God to do in your life, but it's just not happening? Zechariah and Elizabeth were in that place, but they were also in a place where their sorrow was about to be turned into wonder. They were about to be taught that it was God's redemption alone that brings wonder. And it's for everybody to see it. It's for everybody to have. So we get to verse 18 in Luke chapter 1, and this is what it says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The thing that he's been praying for, he, can't even, he's, he doesn't even believe it. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until 
the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Okay, we're going we're gonna to ignore Zechariah for a minute now. Zechariah is silent. Silence has already happened in this story. We realize it's not the worst thing to have happen. But it's what Elizabeth says here. Elizabeth is the one who says something extraordinary here. She says, the Lord has done this for me. And what is it that the Lord has done? The Lord has taken away her disgrace. See, God's main desire is to remove your disgrace, and he is the only one who can do it. God wants to take away our disgrace. But Elizabeth was talking about something really immediate. Elizabeth was talking about something kind of in the, in the temporary. She was talking about this son who was going to be born to her that was going to take away this disgrace that, that she has amongst all the people. But I'm telling you that it's a much bigger story than that. There's something bigger going on here. It's not just about John that God is doing something awesome. He's not just about removing, removing Elizabeth's disgrace of being a barren woman. God is setting in motion a chain of events that is is meant to take away the disgrace of every single human who has ever walked the face of this earth. My question is this, though. Should Elizabeth, should she have withheld her wonder towards God if he had never taken away the disgrace that she had in this world? If if God had never given her a son, should, should she have never found her wonder in God? Same thing for you. If if God never gives you the job that you think your talents actually are affording, should you withhold your wonder? If he doesn't take away your physical ailments so that you can live in freedom the way that you want to, or if your family's actions are, help, are causing other people to see you as a failure, and to see, see you as less than, should those things keep us from finding our wonder in God? God was doing something bigger than just taking away Elizabeth's barren nature. John the Baptist was never meant to be the answer to her eternal disgrace. What he was is he was simply a forerunner of someone who was going to be even better. I absolutely love that. Like John the Baptist, man, he, he was, Jesus said of John the Baptist, like he is the greatest dude that's ever walked the face of the earth. But John's not the answer. And I want you to think about that. When you're going through something in life and God doesn't seem to be changing your circumstance the way that you want to, I want you to remember John. Here's the reason I want you to remember John the Baptist. He, it seemed like he was an answer to, to their disgrace in this world. But John the Baptist ended up living his life as a servant for God, out in the wilderness preaching the gospel. We never see in the Bible, it does not look like he ever got married and had kids. And I don't think Zechariah and Elizabeth ever had kids again because they were old. And John the Baptist was beheaded for what he believed, which means that he probably died without kids, which means that Zechariah's lineage still died. It didn't keep going on. 
John the Baptist wasn't the answer to their disgrace. There was a better answer to their disgrace. And that answer was Jesus. When we're struggling with things in life and we don't have the answer and we're not getting the answer, it does not mean that we don't find wonder in God. Because there's still so much wonder to go around in the person of Jesus. And Zechariah finally figured that out. He finally realized that the day that John the Baptist was born, this wonder filled up inside of him that it was more than just about John. It was about this Savior, a baby that was going to be born shortly after him that was going to bring redemption to every single person in this world who needed it. And it brought him to a place of wonder. It brought him to a place of rejoicing. So on the day that he was born, here's what what happens. Here's what Zechariah does. Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And he goes on. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. I'm telling you, Zechariah finally understood what the wonder of God was all about. It wasn't about John the Baptist. That was a part of it. But it was about this Savior coming into the world that was going to bring peace, that was going to bring redemption to every single one of us. And here's the thing. When, when this happened, when he realized this, there was nothing that Zechariah could do except to give praise to God. When he saw the glory of God in this way, there was nothing he could do but rejoice. It says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then it says this, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you've lost your hope, if you've lost your wonder for God, if you've lost your ability to rejoice, The place that we find that, again, the place that we find that wonder is in the glory of God. Our faith is filled with wonder only when it's fixed on the awesome glory of God's goodness, which we find in Jesus Christ. You see, the Israelites, they had lost their wonder for God because they had lost sight of the glory of God. That's what it all comes back to. It comes back to the glory of God. Are you seeing the glory of God in your daily life? Do you understand what he has done for us? Uh, there's a, a writer, J.D. Greer, that, that wrote this that just kind of hit me this week. He said, the cross is the measure of his compassion, the resurrection the measure of his power. When I need to be filled with wonder for who God is, I have to look to the cross and be filled with wonder for the compassion that Jesus showed me on that cross. When I have to be filled with wonder, I look to the resurrection And I'm filled with wonder at the incredible power that Jesus has over sin and death. I look to the birth of Jesus to find that wonder in the incredible gift that he was willing to give to us. 
Worship team, you guys can come on all, all the way up here. We're almost done. But I want to ask you this morning, are you in awe of Jesus? Are you in awe of the glory that is found in Jesus? Do you find wonder in who Jesus is? Do you need a reminder today that Jesus is all the wonder that you need in your life? See, I think it's really possible for us to be people who are excited about our faith. Unfortunately, Christians don't always have that reputation. And like I was saying earlier in, in the service, it saddens me to think that people would come into a church service and walk out feeling like they hadn't felt God. Bottom line, we can't manufacture the glory of God in a way that brings justification to who God is. The truth is, is we have to see it every single day in our lives. We have to see the glory of God every single day of our lives by opening our eyes to who God is, to who Jesus Christ is. And if you're in a place this morning where, where honestly that hope and that wonder is just kind of, it's flatlined, there is enough glory in who Jesus is to find it again. But we've got to seek after God. We've got to, we've got to remind ourselves of the incredible, the incredible compassion we see in the cross, the incredible power that we see in the resurrection. It is our job to, to, to go after God's glory, to find it. And so in this Christmas season, that's, that's, what, that's what my prayer for all of us is, that we wouldn't go through this Christmas season and just not be filled with wonder. There's so much wonder. There's so much reason to have excitement in our faith, but we got to find it in Jesus. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.